0: Hello and welcome to Platforms and Pitfalls. I'm Rowan. And I am Blue. And we are here to talk about game design, although not the game design you might have been expecting from us. Last month, we had promised to be talking about MP systems, and for various reasons, we need to change to something a little bit easier to prep this month. Time is wibbly wobbly,
1: as a good doctor might say. Actually, I forget which doctor says that.
0: (laughs) The David Tennant Doctor. It is a Doctor Who. Okay, cool.
1: Um, I had this moment where I thought it was Doc Brown from Back to the Future. Uh, this might be a glimpse into my headspace, which is to say I don't have a lot of room for complicated thoughts. And MP systems are like, we- we've actually uh, done a version of this episode a
0: long time ago. It was our very first beta episode. Which will never be released because it's not that great. It's also lost. Sorry. It's also, yeah, completely.
1: but. Like it's a it's 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 a mechanical one, and I really really like mechanical episodes, but I don't have the brain for it right now. Um, life is busy, so I do apologize for that. Um, you get this instead. I I really like this topic though.
0: It has been a potential topic since February seventeenth, twenty nineteen, when we first looked at Asura's Wrath. We're going to be looking at title screens this month.
1: It, this is such a this is the. Again, more behind the scenes. The way this topic came up was I watched a playthrough of A Serious rap. It's it's a bit of a time sink. And I just was dumbstruck by it. And that's why. And then I went to Rowan and I'm like, this is crazy and so awesome. And Rowan, being the great human being, said, why don't we talk about it then? I said, yes. And then we started planning and then we never got there.
0: Until now. Yeah, until now. And... You might initially think of this like title screens, that's like graphic design, not game design, but a lot of video game design is about setting up expectations. It's about paying off or subverting expectations. It's about determining pacing, which title screens can also be used for. And just setting up first impressions is really, really important. And so today we're going to be looking at how a bunch of games will set your expectations and things. So this episode is going to be a bit technically different in that I'm going to use podcast chapters. So if you look at your screen during any of the games, you should see the podcast art being replaced with the title screen of the given game we're talking about. For some games, this is going to be very useful. For some games, slightly less so. And all the music will be the title screens or introductory sounds for each game. And with that, let's move on to our first game, which also has a content warning in that we are finally going to have swearing on platforms and pitfalls. So... But it's not by us. And it's not by us. Although, if you want to, you can say swear words as much as you like today, Blue. This this particular...
1: Yeah, obviously, I'm such a vulgar human being in real life and i'm holding myself back on every episode
0: yep that's that's a that's a truth statement probably. Yep, but, but anyway on to our first game
1: vice you dumbass Start making sense, you rotten book, or you're going to be sorry. Maybe I'll rip your pages out one by one. Or maybe I'll put you in the goddamn furnace. How can someone with such a big smart brain get hypnotized like a little bitch, huh? Oh, Shadow Lord, I love you, Shadow Lord. Come over here and give VICE a big sloppy kiss, Shadow Lord. Now pull your head out of your goddamn ass and start fucking helping us!
0: Nia is a subversive, genre-bending 2010 action RPG developed by Caviar and recently remastered directed by Yoko Taro and produced by Takia Iwasaki and Yosuke Saito and designed by Daisuke Izuka. So you've just heard the dramatic opening words that Nia greets us with before going into its sort of introductory sequence.
1: Do you want to like edit this back into the front? So it's going to be a weird cut. Um, Full disclosure, uh, I technically work uh, in the near series now, I am the community manager for the, uh, as of recording, recently released uh, mobile game Nier Reincarnation. So this has nothing to do with this original near that we're talking about from 2010, nor the recent remastered Near Replicant. Um, but I am technically associated with the series, so for legal purposes, I am required to say that uh, this is not sponsored in any way. This was not. Uh, this list was like designed way before I even knew. This game existed, let alone was going to be working on it. Um, what else am I supposed to say here? I think that I think that covers it. That um, yeah, th- this is not in any way associated nor representative of the near series. The thoughts and views and, and things that we say in this episode. This is like on boot of the game. Very important to like contextualize. This is not like I hit start. No, this is disc in play game. Heine screams at you
0: if you don't press any buttons. You will see this. Hear this. Uh- hear this. And it's all upon mostly black background with like Square Enix fading in at some point during it. And I think that this is a really fascinating opening. It also wasn't in the original Japanese release. This was part of the localization. And I think it's a great choice because Nier's opening half is not extremely compelling. Honestly, like there's not a lot of questions that you're particularly concerned about, like the introduction of Nier, this weird modern cityscape disaster that the game opens with in the actual play is an intriguing mystery that you're curious about, but you're probably like by playing the game, not that interested, but every time you boot up this game, it reinforces that there is this set of dialogue. Something's coming up. Yeah. That you want to know about because clearly like in media res, I feel when you hear it. Yes. I think this really does genuinely function as a compelling reason to wanna keep playing.
1: Yeah. Should should we talk about in media res?
0: Sure. In media res is a term that refers to narratives starting in the middle of themselves. So usually we would like start a story, be introduced to characters, and have the world set up and things, but in media res is just we're already there, everything's happening, we're gonna trust the audience to just pick up things as we go, or we're gonna flash back to the proper start a little later.
1: So, if you think of a story as beginning, middle, end, a lot of what's interesting happens in the middle, right? In media res is a technique that goes: if that's the interesting part, let's show audiences the interesting part first, get them invested, and then do the setup. Whichever way you want to end up going about it, there's a, there's some approaches to in media res that don't even flash back; they just continue from the interesting part, and then they have to do creative things with like re-establishment right so there's a lot that can be done here the reason that this is a particularly like really cool version of in media res is so with a movie you hit play literally right you hit play and like cool anything goes from this point but with a video game the experience isn't expected to start until you get through the title there is this expectation the language of video games is you put in the disc metaphorically speaking discs may not even exist for very much longer And then from your, you know, whatever, like you hit play, quote unquote, to start the game. And then you hit play on the title screen to start the game. That's been the way for forever, for for like as long as we've had video games, right? Because even going back to like Donkey Kong, you don't boot up the game and immediately get to the level. You have to actually hit play, I think, in Donkey Kong. I know that's the case for Mario Brothers, so I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, and there are some interesting but when they do that it's usually a we're trying to feel cinematic final fantasy 4 is a rather infamous like the very first time you boot up the piece of software you don't get the title screen you go straight into the opening cinematic of the game but that's it trying to be cinematic and trying to mimic that feeling of being a film um but this is being very gamey because it's not replacing the title screen the first time you boot it up it is
1: making the title screen do this. Like, this is the title screen, right? Like, uh, everything in a title screen includes what you see on screen, the transition into it, and everything you hear around it. So this is a really interesting mesh of in-media res and a video game. In-media res in the language of a video game. Because when a video game starts in-media res, I personally feel like that's borrowing from film language. But as you said, this is a thing that you hear every time you boot up the game the game doesn't care that you started the game before it doesn't check to see if you have a save file to not play this this is here every time you boot up the game and maybe if you play it in one sitting you'll never hear it again but if you do this in chunks you'll hear this every time it'll be here to try to remind you of what's coming up ahead super fascinating way of like taking this normally blank air dead space in the front of a video game where you're not supposed to be engaged at your, like you're, your brain is booting up into, I will play the game now and just shoving you straight into it.
0: Yeah. And it's setting up a bunch about the tone of near that. It's a weird game that dialogue is going to not feel like standard RPG fair. There's going to be a lot of swearing and like anger in it. And I think that this opening really genuinely sets a tone for this game that you might not initially expect while you're playing it.
1: There's a reason why when you do theater, at some point, you're asked to do a monologue because a monologue like really shows you the range of what that actor is capable of, right? Without anyone else to bounce off of, with just themselves, just their words, just their actions, um, what can you convey? Like a monologue is powerful when done right. Um, so like shout outs to Laura Bailey for nailing it, but I see this as a monologue from near the game, right? The, these are some of the notes we're going to hit here. This is our demo reel, so to speak, without being traditionally just there's a, there's a concept in a lot of games called attract mode, which, you know, stems back to in the arcades when cabinets would just flicker through gameplay to attract people to come and play them, right? Uh, and near does have an attract mode. Which starts off off of this monologue, but this is such a great like a beginning to, to like attract you to the game and try to get you interested straight up. Super cool, I love it. And I'm I'm using extremely imprecise language here just because. Yeah, this, this stuff's neat. This stuff's very very cool.
0: And I think having said that, unless we've got more things to say about Nier, we can move on to something that neither of us are officially affiliated with.
1: Saban's Power Rangers Battle for the Grid is a 2019 three versus three tag team fighter by Inway Incorporated. And we are going to fail at providing like names and credits for what people did on this project because it was a small team and they credit everyone on the team without like giving specific roles.
0: Which I think is really cool, actually, of the company in the, you know... We talk about roles and credits and things on this show a little bit, but in a lot of cases, people do a lot of different things, especially in smaller game development.
1: The The, the term often used in the industry is like many hats. Um, everyone in an indie team wears many hats because, you know, today you do QA, tomorrow you do design, or probably the other way around, hopefully the other way around. Um, you know, day after you do sound sometimes. So
0: And design is honestly such a collaborative process especially like everyone plays some part in how a game is designed even if there are a few people that are doing a lot of the overarching design quote-unquote work
1: so in lieu of like um specific names to give you i will give a shout out to some of the um marvel versus capcom Two fan crew community in um socal south california I believe it's SoCal or NorCal, I'm not sure, who uh, consulted on this game. Um, they are a very strong reason why, uh, like like they got, the, the development team got top players in and I think in some cases, actually just like straight up uh, brought them into the company, but definitely consulted with and like paid um, a bunch of like professional top players, uh, tournament veterans to like, you know, talk about the feel and give feedback on the, the flow of the game, etc. And this is an extremely, extremely competent game. Uh, however, we are not talking about the game feel in this case. For this episode, we are looking at Battle for the Grid because it has a story mode. Story modes in fighting games are interesting. They're not normally great.
0: We have a whole episode about them that probably has a number, um, but I don't remember which one it is.
1: Single-player modes in Fighters is literally number two. Episode number two. They're an interesting challenge, right? Because it's this like, you know, multiplayer experience. And then you have, what do we do with single-player? Well, Battle for the Grid has this unique benefit of being an adaptation of a comic book story. For those of you who may be unaware, the American localized version of Power Rangers developed its own cult following, very separate from the Japanese original Sentai series. As part of that, story and characters that were kind of just like how do we make these scenes fit as we reshoot with these you know uh, american actors became this entire new story like like this entire new universe
0: and it's such a fascinating rabbit hole to go down
1: it is gigantic and it's been going it is like ongoing for like 20 years now you know and uh one of the really, really good story arcs. I'm so sad I didn't look this up and I didn't think to. I don't know what the name of that arc is called, but like that got adapted into the story for Battle for the Grid. Um, so that's what the story mode in this covers. The writing is, for the most part, very solid, but we're very much looking at start. So sort of cheating. Uh, the title card, the title screen that we're looking at for Battle for the Grid isn't the title screen where you hit play or select single player or multiplayer etc cetera, etc cetera.
0: that screen is very very typical it's fine unremarkable
1: nothing wrong about it nothing great about it but once you hit start story and you, you begin the story from the uh uh and you begin the story at the beginning me, as i completely yeah from the beginning as i completely just trip over my words here
0: um and it sounds very unassumingly, like, oh, two characters having a sparring match. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. It, it's
1: a tutorial, right? Like, it's a tutorial. Um, you're in the ranger base. Zordon is in the background, I think. I don't remember who's like, like Zordon's around. And then the rangers get attacked.
0: By other rangers.
1: By other rangers. Yeah. So the, the game immediately sets this up as there are evil rangers in this universe. You better get ready. This is going to be Power Rangers fighting Power Rangers, but some of them are evil. It's so common. You play in this opening sequence, you play as Tommy,
0: right? Um you play as the pink Ranger, Red Ranger, I believe, from the original um series.
1: I don't remember names anymore. You play as the original pink and uh and Red Rangers, correct.
0: And then the Green Ranger comes in, and then so does his evil version, the Yeah, evil Tommy. The Ranger Slayer? Oh, why can't I can't remember the name.
1: It's so good. Yeah, let's say Ranger Slayer. That sounds right to me. We're so
0: prepared for this. An evil version comes in and kills him. Kills him. And then the title card comes.
1: Yeah, there's this...
0: Very classic cinematic language. It is. The movie doesn't start at the start of the movie. This is where the movie starts. And this is not... A- Remarkably uncommon thing to do in video games. Like a lot of cinematically charged video games, like Uncharted and Horizon, Hmm. a lot of Sony stuff, honestly, engages with this like particular thing. But I think this game, when you first boot it up, when you are playing it, it's kind of unassuming. And honestly, the tutorial is kind of like that opening dialogue with the opening two ranges. It's you are not expecting a grand narrative from this.
1: Here's the thing, right? Like there is personality in that opening dialogue and that personality is Power Ranger camp, right? Yep. From Power Ranger camp, the leap to main character death is so far. I I suppose if you're just like kind of going into this for the first time, it's like, oh cool, I'm just taking it in, right? But this this opening of Power Ranger camp into very major character death, and I want to come back to that, into title card, bam, dramatic music. That is such a powerful opening sequence.
0: The title card drop in cinematic language, only so it's like, this thing you just saw, that's what this movie is really about. Yes. It's kind of what it's supposed to be going for. Yep. And what this is saying is, this is like a Power Rangers story, but it's not the Power Rangers stories that you're used to. Deaths happen where alliances are fickle, well not fickle, Alliances can be different to what you expect, and so on. Mm-hmm.
1: This is not the story you grew up on. This is like if 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 there was a Pokemon movie that like cold opened into like you know happy sunlight. If I remember, I'm I'm thinking of like the second Pokemon movie where they open with like this fight with a Dawn fan. I think that's the second Pokemon movie. Might have been the first one, and it's like bright and cheery music, and then suddenly the sky goes dark. And then Mewtwo comes down and just kills Pikachu and then title card. Like, that's what this feels like. I was going to say more about, like, Tommy and the legacy of stuff like that. But, like, that really, that's, that's really what it feels like. And that's I think that that's the important point to get across. Very powerful. And as you said, very much serves to set the tone. Like, a title card has a purpose. A title screen has a purpose. And this is going to be something that we come back to for everything on this list. This title screen is very important to get you in the right mindset. And like it's such an innocuous looking thing, right? Of like, oh, it's a pause. You put the logo of the game here. You have some music playing. It's effectively just a road bump in the story. It's not though. Like dramatic pausing is a thing. When we pause in sentences for dramatic effect. You know, like that classic one from How I Met Your Mother Legend, wait for it. There. Like there that's there is a result out of that. And a title card is Cinematic, visual, dramatic pause, or it can be not always, but it can be, and in this case, that's what it is.
0: Yeah, and so with Nier we had sort of a very specific video gaming example with Power Rangers. Here, we've had much more drawing on cinematic language, and I think our next game is a really marvelous merging of the two.
1: If this was like a dramatic pause, the next one is William Shatner's speech, dramatic pausing.
0: I think the next game would be what we would pick as the title card for the show. (laughs) Yeah, such (laughs) a good one. Okay, and with that...
1: Asura's Wrath is a 2012 cinematic action game by CyberConnect2 directed by Seiji Shimoda and produced by Kazuhiro suchiya What can I say about this game? Um, yeah, we won't do the thing where we where we talk too much about like the gameplay because we oh, we've covered Asteroid's Wrath before
0: I'm pretty. Sure. Yeah, we covered Asteroid's Wrath before in episode 7, Game Loops in Time. I want to very briefly before we talk into this game, talk about this company. Company? Yeah, let's do it. So, this company is Kind of famous for making the Dot Hack games, the Naruto um, Ninja Storm games, a number of sort of anthropomorphic animal games like Solitaire Robo and Tail Concerto. But this company basically has a long, long history of striving for the goal of interactive anime, and basically up until Guilty Gear Strive, had by far like some of the best cell shading in the business. And they've always had like a really good eye for how to tell games in a cinematic way, but also in a gamey way, which has been one of their key strengths. And they mostly are forced to make licensed games because they're so good at this sort of stuff.
1: It puts food on the table, making licensed games.
0: And every now and then they get the opportunity to make their own game that isn't connected to a franchise, that isn't like licensed to them by Bandai Namco or something, that- They sort of do what they like with, they often don't succeed amazingly financially, but they do really succeed, I think, as like very clear and distinctive artistic visions.
1: I'm listening to you talk and I can't keep the smile off my face just thinking about this game.
0: Yeah, like this is a passion project from a group of people that really understand anime and storytelling really well. I think this is the closest they came to making interactive anime and not in like a crappy 1980s, early 90s FMV game, but in something that really passes that. When
1: I finished, like, kind of researching this game, the only adjective I could like reasonably attribute to this game was confident. A Wrath is a confident game. I'm not sure it's like rightfully confident, but it's a confident game. Th- this is the game that led us to this episode. This is this is it. This is the game that made me go, this game is so, it so knows what it's doing. It's so confident at what it's doing. And not in a game, gaming sense, but in a narrative sense.
0: And this draws really heavily on TV and anime, as my whole spiel might have implied. It is done in episodes. Each episode has, you know, happened previously opening, written by, produced by...
1: Yep, credits, episode credits. At the end of an episode is a next time on Asura's Wrath segment to show you what the next chapter of the game is going to do.
0: And every one of these episodes does have a title card drop, not unlike Power Rangers.
1: Yeah, let's talk about like why we're here and why this is in the list, right? Because on top of all of that, all of that's already extremely confident. This kind of structure is very foreign to video games. Next time on... That sounds cute in practice. While you're playing, that's really annoying, actually, to break up your gameplay segments like that, right? It is. But <laughs> that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about something else. So when you first start the game, unlike Nier, this game doesn't shout at you. You get a title screen where you can select start your game, to load your file, to continue, etc., etc. Right, new game, that kind of stuff.
0: Very unassuming.
1: Let's say you hit new game, right? You get into the story. And it starts to set itself up and it very quickly sets itself up as a grand, large scale.
0: Ooh, what's the word I want to use here? Sort of mystical space opera.
1: The word I wanted to get was opera. And I think I think that's right. Like space opera. It was 100% the words I was going to use there. Yeah, mystical space opera is
0: great. Like we're in space, but we're all very mythical.
1: Yeah. And we're talking like. You know, like, Star Trek, you see, like, a couple of ships. This is, like, full-on, like, alien invasion armada thing. And you pan into a wide shot of just Earth on the left and ships on the right. And then the game stops,
0: and it goes, press start. With the title also appearing. (laughs) With the title card on it. And even with, like... Credits Capcom, all rights reserved at the bottom, just like a regular title screen would. It looks like the title screen again.
1: And, you know, we talked about this before. It's about setting a tone. So the the title screen with just the name of the logo of the game and like new game, etc., you know, continue all that. That doesn't set the tone very much because that's just a source of wrath. This sets the tone. Before this, you have... This like slow zoom out, you have like characters talking, shouting, and there's a war going on, or at least a conflict or a battle going on. And it's kind of in media res. It's kind of just dropping you in the middle of something. But this is the beginning of the story. This story is all about conflict and starts with conflict. So what a great opening. This on itself is not unreasonable, I don't think. But pausing here and making you press start is the genius thing to
0: me. It makes you pay attention. Yeah. So the start is also very rapid fire. So there's like a lot that goes on before we get to this. A lot of dense information has been thrown at you. It's a moment to contemplate what's going on. Like it's a very, this is a cinematic title card drop. It is also a gamey title card drop in that it is presenting you with the opportunity to press the button to continue.
1: What is on the other side of this title card is also important because this immediately jumps you into one of the like few main sections of the game where you're just mashing buttons.
0: Yeah, you are shooting meteors, aliens. First time you're playing this, you're not sure what you're doing. First time playing
1: this game, you probably are struggling with the visual overload of this game because you are in a free fall into Earth and things are coming up at you and you're shooting. them. And it's um,
0: it's busy. So Oh boy, yes, it's busy. O-
1: Oasis of peace, right, in this title card. Which is like not a, a calm title card either. It's a very tense card. At any rate, already strong showing, right? This one is like, I said before, this game's like so confident. I wouldn't use confident yet. This one I would say is a very competent title card, right? Episode one, you're starting the game. Okay, we give you the teaser and then we just go, hey, are you ready? Hit start when you're ready. You may not be ready. That's fine. Very competent.
0: No one's ready for a series honestly.
1: <laughs> no one is. It's, it's, a, it's a great game. Then we move on. And the story progresses, Uh, we get more episodes, we get a, like, Hot Springs episode, everything that continues as normal, but in very typical, like, hot-blooded shounen anime style, we come up towards the end of the base game, at least, Uh, this game has some DLC, and we come up to episode 18, which is the final episode in the base game, and it opens where the previous episode left off, you know, in the ruins of this, like, space station thing, and two friends standing side by side and then it plans around them to again look towards the earth but this time there's a giant space tentacle monster in the way and then it stops and it goes asurus wrath title card press start
0: 2012 capcom limited all rights reserved
1: (laughs) oh man (laughs) what a great
0: title card Kind of gives you this moment to pause and think Stop. about like before we finish bad. this game take a moment chill think really think about what's going on here
1: if you don't know that this is the final episode you know now this is a big deal right like this is where I start going man this game is confident <laughs> this game is so confident this is this is where I went this game is so confident y- you don't uh, I don't know how to like really phrase this other than it takes so much like Awareness of your craft and confidence to just stop the action, to stop the game and, and tell the player, hey, pay attention to this. That's not a thing that we do often enough. Like, you know, uh, the, the blank space, uh, the negative space in art, the unplayed notes in music, the not a video game parts of a video game. These can be like spaces for you to design and a title card is a great not-game moment in a video game for you to design. Um, Insert dramatic pause, right?
0: Players don't expect this. Who would? And Asura's Wrath is interesting in that a lot of the gameplay comes down to quick-time events, and arguably, this is actually a quick-time event. It's just a very slow one. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah.
1: infinite time, time, quick-time, slow-time event.
0: more, more specifically, this is... One of the few times that this game is really asking you to slow down, like, the game is defined a lot by its hecticness, even when we are having story monologues, they tend to have a lot of intensity around them. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm. Um, If you're following the story, there's story to follow in story moments. This isn't a story moment. This is a um, take a breath. We're going into something.
0: Like this and... A number of moments in like the Hot Springs episode, some of the few moments that this game really lets you contemplate. Breathe.
1: Yeah. Yeah. In other games, to make a comparison point and to be less just like gushy about it, in other games, this title screen would be there's a save point here. There's extra ammo here. There are potions here. Oh, no. Right. This is that moment in other video games. This is when you are given prep time for a boss. This is that. But in an action game, what is that? You don't need to save this game saves for you every chapter episode that you don't need to prep you don't have like stats to attribute you don't have levels to go through so what do you do in an action game you give them a title card that's so smart right like that's so smart tension and drama um needs to be ratcheted and sometimes you do that ratcheting by you know having dramatic moments by having a conflict by having a debate even right like when, when your character goes up against the final boss and they have this moment where they're exchanging ideals. And all of that works and it's fine and is great. But I don't know many experiences, let alone video game experiences, that ratchet up by just saying, let's stop for a moment and take this in. And that's what this title card does. And believe it or not, on episode 18, the final episode of the base game, <laughs> this isn't the last title card in the game. I got one more. Yeah, unfortunately for A Wrath, it did not launch being able to complete its story. It's uh.
0: Very controversial. Um, this is in sort of an era of locked DLC, Street Fighter, Cross Tekken, also a victim of this sort of thing. This is a very controversial era for DLC when everyone's figuring it out, and Asura's Wrath
1: fell into that. And uh, it's quote unquote true ending, the the actual conclusion to its story. Like it's not a true ending, it's literally just the conclusion to its story. The the base game's ending doesn't lead. doesn't it has a big cinematic boss fight, but it doesn't resolve like a lot of the core drama and struggles that's left to its true ending dlc and lo and behold why would you expect anything else at the beginning (laughs) episode 22 in asura's wrath 22 chapters in you have another title card and this is a bit more spoilery on like how we get to the setup here but yeah it's another tranquil looking title card but if you're like following the the events in the game, you know that it's about to lead into a particularly hectic encounter. I think this particular episode, like I don't remember this because it's been a while since we looked at this, so I don't remember this like fully. This particular episode and chapter in the game is very heavy with just like quick time events because it's a complex boss fight. So yeah, three retitle cards to punctuate and put the full stop and and like center focus, bring your eyes and attention to dramatic points. In this game's story, I have rarely seen a game so competent in its storytelling that it does this, especially because its gameplay is okay. Its gameplay is only okay.
0: This game is a really interesting piece of work to study, honestly, in that it's very easy to look at Asura's Wrath and be like, it's just a movie, but with buttons. I'd be very dismissive of it. But I think that Asura's Wrath is just such a strong demonstration of Cyber Connect 2's confidence and deep understanding of the medium, in that, sure, like on a depth level, like when the game is actually in its full gameplay mode, it's not that engaging, honestly. Yeah. But Cyber Connect 2 understands what it feels like to press a button, what it feels like to have a response to a button being pressed. And it uses that strongly with every QuickTime event, with every title card it drops. It understands how interacting, even very basic, tiny interactions like these title cards genuinely and meaningfully impact the experience. To the point that, like, for about two years now, me and Blue still think about these title screens.
1: Yeah, I I think at the time, the thing that I kept saying was,
0: how dare they? How dare they put a title card here? (laughs) Like... (laughs) Oh, it's so good. And they dare. And they dare so fantastically well. I don't know if all of this comes across as just
1: gibbering nonsense to you, dear listeners. And it might. But if it does, know that this was caused by a company and a group of individuals who were so good <laughs> at storytelling that they made us go, oh my god, by stopping, right? That's a statement. Like that's it. That
0: that's it. And I think. This has been our statement on Asura's Wrath. Easing you off the intensity that is Asura's Wrath, we're going to go into Blue Reflection, which is a 2017 socially focused RPG developed by Gust. Directed and designed by Azusa Takahashi and produced by Jinzo Hosoi. And yeah, this is an RPG that in many ways is like Persona with a big focus on the bonds we make with people and how these bonds directly give us power. Our protagonists are magical girls in the vein of sort of Sailor Moon and so on, who sort of enter a collective consciousness to do battle with our problems. So what's cool about this title screen is not that it dramatically brings pauses to the game. This is a very like slow and chill game, as I think the music you just heard might suggest, but we have this title screen. And the first time you boot it up, you just see a bunch of diamonds and the protagonist's face in one of the diamonds. If we're talking about adjectives that I could use here is minimalist. Yeah. It's minimalist and clean. And this is prepping you in a few ways. We've got, here's the protagonist of the game already there. We're setting up the UI design, which uses these diamonds consistently as like the selectable icons in the game and just like very chill music that the game will go on to keep using throughout the experience. It's
1: also relatively bright. Like the subject matter is not particularly bright, even from the beginning, but like the tone of the game is, is, yeah, it's bright. Or, or wants to be bright.
0: And as we go on, we collect party members. We create social links, which have a different term. I think it's bonds. And slowly, each diamond gets filled with the face of a new character. Until by the end of the game, every diamond has been filled with a character from the storyline. This is very simple. And like Blue Reflection is not especially long as an RPG, but it's long enough you're going to boot up this screen at least three or four times, probably, honestly, a dozen for most people.
1: That's such a great moment of consideration as well. Like knowing that a game is more than one sitting, even like that small knowledge allows us to make design considerations, right? Because like this effort that went into this title screen is just, you're not going to get through everything at once. So every time you come back, like we're going to remind you of like where you are, because you're going to notice the new faces more than than the faces that are already there, right? You're going to have this immediate relationship of like, oh, yeah, we just did this evocation. Yeah, that's the word I'm looking for. Immediately evoking that story and that emotional connection again by putting a face right in front of you that you just dealt with in theory. Mm. Right.
0: Yeah, that's right. So usually it's like once that person's um, issues have been resolved, they would join the title screen as they sort of join your troop of social bonds. And this works really because well, part of the point of this game is that the protagonist, Hinako, has been out of school for a while, having had an accident, and is sort of back. She feels isolated, alone. She doesn't want to open up to people anymore. And this game is, the early part especially, is about her like relearning to open up to people and to engage with people again. And so... This title screen is like neatly mirroring that journey of just like going from a few bonds to having a life full of bonds.
1: The original title screen is so lonely is another word that you were used to. And you don't even think about it at the time when you first see it. But when you see this title screen filled up and then you go back and see the original, she looks so lonely in that minimalist initial, you know, just it's it's so smart. It's so simple as well, right? Like we don't need to be making grand statements with our title screens here, that's not what we're setting out to do. It's just rather amazing in many ways, right? But it doesn't have to be a big grand statement. It can just be um, supporting the themes of your game. This evolution and progression of title screens does that amazingly, It's just absolutely gorgeous.
0: Yeah, it really is, and it's a really gorgeous game as well. But that's besides the point. I don't think we need to go into a lot more depth here. I think we're sort of. Would just be repeating aspects we've talked about already. But just like this follows in the tradition of what we've set up before in a distinct way with its like step by step evolution of this title screen, as opposed to it just being either a static thing or a thing that's just arbitrarily timed throughout the experience for a few set points and using that like recurring nature of the title screen.
1: And when done right, it evokes an emotional response. How often can you look at a title screen and go, oh, yeah, I really feel or this character I see here, because we just went through their journey, right? Like it would be less impactful if everyone was just here from the beginning.
0: And as you say, like title screen set tone, the opening tone is lonely. And this last tone does feel more vibrant, more welcoming. Warmer. And with that, let's move on to our last game.
1: The final game we're going to talk about today is Superflight, a 2017 procedurally generated score attack wingsuit game. Pardon me as I attempt to pronounce these names, uh, and forgive me if I get these wrong, uh, created by Friedemann Almanroder, Shariar, Sharabi, Farahani, and Paul Schnep.
0: In many ways, from what we've talked about, this is the most simple title screen. It's very functional. You've got your simple options, play, map, settings, quit, your current best score and things like that, and the game name. But what's intriguing about this title screen and why it's on this list is that the environment you see in front of you is the environment you're going to play in, the procedurally generated environment that you will be playing in. And so there's sort of, there's not amazing. Like when you start the game, all that really happens is it starts and the title screen goes away more or less like it will reposition the landscape to like a proper place for you to fly which it sometimes might not be in but it more or less feels seamless you press that play button and you're just in in the same environment you were looking at and that immediacy is really powerful in the same way that the delay of Asura's Wrath is what's really powerful I think in that You're just in there. It's so frictionless, and the title screen mostly serves to get you into the game. And it sets the tone that this game is very simply about itself. Great title screens are not exclusive to narrative experiences.
1: Yeah, so be very clear here. There isn't an overarching story for Superflight. It's just about flying close to geometry and not crashing into it. Closer you fly, more points you get. Just want to go as long as you can. Basically it. Um, I think you used a a word functional and that's a very, very good one. One of the reasons a title screen like this exists is because I'd put small money on a conversation that happens in the development of this game where someone goes, what is our title screen? Uh, do we make a new scene for it? Do we like just have a black background? Do we have like custom art? Do We put concept art there. And then, you know, someone in the team realizes, or maybe they even like went into it trying this out to prototype it of just why don't we just have the game loaded because the game needs to load all the stuff right when you procedurally generate something at some point you need to do a lot of calculations you don't really want that to be after you hit play you want that to be before you hit play ideally so that you can have everything preloaded so that the transitions are seamless and so if everything's preloaded already and it looks pretty
0: right? Superflight looks pretty. Superflight's random generation of landscapes like creates some genuinely fascinating, bizarre, but beautiful environments.
1: Why not just use it? So It's so smart, and it's one of these decisions that I suspect, I don't know this for sure, but I suspect comes out of just um, practicality, pragmatism, pragmatic beauty. That's that's what Superflight is, pragmatic beauty, uh, in terms of its title screens.
0: And I don't think there's a lot more to go into it, really. It's a very simple concept, very simple idea.
1: and uh...
0: But I think it's really important to present this in conjunction with the, these others because there's, I mean, I don't think people take our advice too strongly, but I think that there's a risk when we talk about something like this and just look at these grand narrative things that this is only an important consideration for those big grand narrative things when it's everything benefits from clever, considered usage of the title screen. And in this case, it's this raw, as you mentioned, quite probably, this is just a great chance to load in these assets. And it's also one of the few times that players have a chance to really like observe these environments too.
1: Yeah, once you start, you're kind of in it, right? So this preview of the on the title screen also gives players an opportunity to kind of plan the first few seconds of their flight. Like, oh, I want to aim for that. You know, you don't get a like rotating aerial view of the environment. Actually does it? Yeah, it stays static, right? Yeah. Because you start from where we're looking.
0: More or less, yes. There's a bit of a jump cut, a bit of an angle change, I think.
1: So you, yeah, you get a bit of time to like plan out your first few seconds at least before things get to improv, uh, which is nice. Before we get to summaries of just, we don't need to do... What's the word I'm looking for? Sorry, my train of thought got destroyed. We there.
0: don't need to do anything elaborate?
1: Sorry, not that. We don't need to have title screens be this grand statement in every game right like that's not what we're saying here we're not saying that games are lesser if they don't do something with their title screens uh what we are saying is that hey this is like design space and some games have done some really cool things with it so two slightly different tones to be taken there and i wanted to clarify that
0: and with that let's move on to ending summaries So we looked at title screens in this episode. We started off with Nier and how it um, sort of breaking the expectations of when the game really starts, the story really starts, and just throwing you in with this media res monologue before you even get to press a button. Uh,
1: we follow that up with Seban's Power Rangers Battle for the Grid. Just giving it its proper full treatment there for a title and how its story mode punctuates a super dramatic moment and tonal shift for the the, the the series. If you're not familiar with the comic books, it's like such a huge tonal shift for the series in general with a title card, not necessarily to like hold you there forever, but just to like make you pay attention and, and understand that, yeah, this is the story we're going to get ourselves into. And, you know, like kind of building on that and punctuation source wrath. What can we say here that we didn't already say in the segment of it? It's just such a confident title card that, well, title card, collection of title cards that really highlight these key moments where the game wants you to stop, think about what you've just done and what's going to happen next. And that's it.
0: And Blue Reflection sort of uses the fact that it's a game, can it faithfully assume we played in multiple sessions to show off the evolution of what's going on in the game, the connections between characters by... Changing the title screen as you meet new people in the story is to reflect the story that's going on that really keeps in mind those themes. And we finish off with Superfly, which was looking at more of title screens as a function, how they relate directly to the gameplay and things, and how title screens can get you ready for the mood, even outside of these more thematic and emotional ways.
1: I want to give a shout-out to a bunch of other title screens, which we considered, which did a lot of the same thing, which is changing itself after a story has been completed. Because I also really appreciate those, those games.
0: And we don't want to really say them specifically because that gets into awkward spoiler territory, but it's a really fascinating trick when it's done. With that, thank you for listening, everyone. We really enjoyed talking about title screens this month and hope that you enjoyed it just as much. If you want to talk with us about anything we discussed, tell us your favourite title screens or the worst title screens, you should tweet at the show, at Pit. We always love talking about these games. And you can also find our personal Twitter accounts in the show notes as well. If you aren't one for Twitter, we have a Facebook page and an email in our show notes. And of course, if you enjoyed the show, why not recommend it to a friend who doesn't know enough about Asura's Wrath? Or if you're feeling especially fancy, review it. We don't exactly know what's coming up next. It might be MP systems. It might be our originally scheduled September episode, but it will be something and it will be about game design. And with that, thank you for listening.